welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. To read from the book of Ephesians. We're going to read the first six verses of the first chapter. To start off with, I'm going to read from the NIV. Might come up on the screen. There it is. And it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. So, as you probably know, Ephesus is a city still today in what is uh, Turkey today, uh, but back then was uh, a major city, and Paul had established a church there in about 52 AD, I think, uh, and then about 10 years later, or maybe just around 60 AD, he's now under house arrest in Rome, and he's writing to the different churches around where he had planted churches, and this one's to the Ephesians, or the church of Ephesus. And, uh, and he says, Grace and peace to you, verse 2, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one that he loves. I mentioned earlier when we were singing and just hearing Janelle over communion, some of the things that we've already heard today, the Holy Spirit sinks together without people getting together and planning everything. It's just amazing often in a church service when you feel the Holy Spirit at work beforehand and in that meeting, how he's getting the same kind of message through. And so when we read these scriptures about our identity in Christ, you probably heard that already sung and talked about this morning. And so today we're starting a six-week series on the book of Ephesians. This is a letter obviously written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by the Apostle Paul, and it covers a great deal Um, theologians tell us that there's three main sections uh, to understand this book. When you read through it, chapters 1, 2 and 3 talk about our position in Christ, uh, who we are seated with Christ. And then chapters 4 and 5 talk about how we walk out of that position into the world and our life in the world around us. And then chapter 6 Uh, covers that whole issue of standing against the enemy and spiritual warfare. So you've got these themes of sitting in Christ, walking out into the world and standing. And so um, uh, Watchman Nee uh, summed it up really well uh, in his devotional book on Ephesians, and he simply called it Sit, Walk, Stand. And some of you may have read that famous devotional. Um, But rather than exegete every verse... Uh, in the book or try to cover every theme or issue in detail, we're just going to focus on the verses that include one simple little phrase, which we've already heard several times in the first few verses and which should be on a screen or was, I think, or maybe on a screen 
um, uh, that has a theme of just the, the phrase, in him. Uh, and this is a phrase that Paul uses a number of times. Not just in this letter, but in other letters uh, to other churches. And it helps us really capture the real meaning of what it is to be a Christian. Because uh, it reflects on our life, our identity that's found in him. Our sense of self-worth, who we are, what life's all about. It can be found not in anything else, but in him. And of course, you can go looking for it in your career or in your appearance or in your bank account balance or the number of friends or followers you have on social media and people look for their sense of who they are and self-worth in all those sorts of places but you'll be disappointed <laughs> you'll you'll be relying on things that you can't really rely on they'll be giving you the wrong information but of course when you surrender your life to Christ that's when you really discover who you are in him and our position moves from being in the world in sin in doubt in ah, turmoil that gets the better of us in confusion in a state of stress all kinds of places that you can be in and we are literally moved spiritually into a position of being in Christ in his family in uh, his love enveloped in his grace and love and so rather than just doing life on our own uh, you know we're we're we're, we're repositioned to be placed in the body of Christ. And that's why Jesus says uh, in John 15, abide in me and I will abide in you or remain in me. Just remind yourself, remember to find yourself in me. Uh, and in fact, when you read the book of Acts, there's a statement there that says in him we live and move and have our being. And so that's where we're Centered. That's where we're meant to find our identity. That's where we're going. Um, and, and of course, our relationship with Jesus can be so real and rich and deep and strong that it can be said that we're not just near him or know about him, but we're actually found in him. And that's a pretty close relationship. And it's not just a, a kind of theological statement or a theoretical Stance, it can be a real experience spiritually that we really do live out of. We, we are all invited to, to understand and explore what this means, not just hear it as a sort of a poetic phrase. Uh, there is a reality uh, that we can experience at a deeper level of being in him. Uh, Jonathan Parnell is a Christian blogger. He puts it this way, to be found in Christ is to come to the end of yourself, the end of Adam, the end of the old age, to be dead in sin but alive to God in Christ, becoming a new person with a new humanity that's part of a new world. And so that's a real experience. That's a real shift that should affect our lives and can change our lives. Notice he says we've come to the end of self because to be in Christ, to live the Christian life, it's not dependent on our effort, is it? It's the true Christian life is dependent on God's grace. And in fact, when you read and study this phrase and these passages, the Greek word used for in, in that phrase, in him, was rarely connected with verbs of action. So in the Bible, 
it isn't really ever used to refer to someone saying, oh, he's, he's uh, in a state of moving or in action or in the process of doing something. It's, it's always used or nearly always used in the Bible to refer to a place of being uh, settled, in a place of rest, in one position, in one place at one time. And so this is the implication that's put here that if you know, we understand the Christian life the right way, it's because we are settled in Christ, at peace, in this position. Um, and Watchman Nee referred to this more in his book that I mentioned, Sit, Walk, Stand. He said, the secret of deliverance from sin is not to do something, but to rest on what God has done. And he goes on, he says, every new spiritual experience begins with an acceptance by faith of what God has done, with a new sitting down, if you like. He writes, we ask, how can I be sure that I am in Christ? I can be sure because the Bible affirms that it is so, and that it was God who put me there. It is accomplished by him in his sovereign wisdom to be seen, believed, accepted, and rejoiced in by us. And so he was known for his straight, matter-of-fact, uh, clear teaching. And, and he goes on in this book and tells a story about how that truth can really help people in some terribly tough times. He writes about a man who came up to him at one of the uh, church services that he was running uh, in China, where Watchman Nee was from. And this guy was an engineer and he'd left a Western country uh, and taken a job in the Far East uh, for two or even three years. He was away from his family. During his absence, his wife was unfaithful to him, went off with one of his best friends. And so when he returned home, he had lost his wife, his contact with his children and his best friend. And Watchman Nee writes this. He said, at the close of a meeting which I was addressing, this grief-stricken man unburdened himself to me. Day and night, for two solid years, my heart has been full of hatred, he said. I am a Christian, and I know I ought to forgive my wife and my friend, but though I try and try to forgive them, I simply cannot. Every day I resolve to love them, and every day I fail. What can I do about it? Do nothing at all, I replied. What do you mean, he asked, startled. Am I to continue to hate them? So I explained, the solution of your problem lies here, that when the Lord Jesus died on the cross, he not only bore your sins away, but he bore you away too. When he was crucified, your old man was crucified in him. So that that unforgiving you, who simply cannot love those who have wronged you, has been taken right out of the way in his death. God has dealt with the whole situation in the cross. There is nothing left for you to deal with. Just say to him, Lord, I cannot love and I give up trying, but I count on your perfect love. I cannot forgive, but I trust you to forgive instead of me and to do so henceforth in me. The man sat there amazed and said, that's all so new. I feel like I must do something about this. A moment later, he added again, but, but what can I do? God is waiting till you cease to do, I said. When you cease doing, then God will begin. And he writes this, have you ever tried to save a drowning man? This is what he told the guy. 
The trouble is that his fear prevents him trusting himself to you. When that is so, there are just two ways of going about it. Either you must knock him unconscious and then drag him to the shore, or else you must leave him to struggle and shout until his strength gives way before you go to his rescue. If you try to save him while he has any, any strength left, he will clutch at you in his terror and drag you under, and both he and you will be lost. God is waiting for your store of strength to be utterly exhausted before he can deliver you. Once you have ceased to struggle, he will do everything. My engineer friend jumped up. Brother, he said, I've seen it. Praise God. There's nothing for me to do. He has done it all. I am all right now. And with a radiant face, he went off rejoicing. Look, I know that's a long story, but I just, I love reading Watchman Nee, and I hope I didn't slip in a pathetic Chinese accent in there, because I just think if you're old enough to remember Kung Fu, I feel like he is the grasshopper guy, just sort of speaking words of wisdom, but a Christian. So uh, it's, it's better than even Kung Fu. Can, every, can anyone help me out here? Come on, David Carradine, Kung Fu, come on, Craig, yes, come on, grasshopper. And so... Um, you know, they had all this Confucianism that came through, which I thought was really cool. Uh, I wasn't a Christian at the time, and it's still kind of, you know, leaning towards some good stuff. But Jesus is the source of truth, and Watchman Nee had got onto that, um, and he was able to, you know, write and explain in these clear, practical ways how to live the Christian life. The Normal Christian Worker is a great book of his that you can read, as well as this sit, walk, stand, devotion of uh, Ephesians. Um, so let's just go back and look at verses 3 to 6 of this uh, first passage, because over the next five weeks, we've got different preachers coming to look at these different phrases that have, in different scriptures that have in him in those verses. And so we're going to look at uh, three different um, phrases here. Uh, verse 3 says... Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Verse 4. For he's chosen us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. And then verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one that he loves. I just want to work backwards from verse 6, and we'll go back through those three different uh, sections. Verse 6, it says, we find grace in him. Some translations say that we have been fully accepted in the beloved. In other words, in God, there's always grace. And Janelle covered this so well when she's sharing over communion about unconditional love. And a mother has it for her children, but she has it because God's put it in her heart. There's, there's, there's a way of loving. But even mothers sometimes uh, you know, find it hard and can run out of grace. And certainly we don't always get grace from people around us when we've done the wrong thing. When we've hurt people, uh, you know, they can struggle to find enough grace to forgive you, to maintain that relationship. But when you go to God... There's always grace. There's always forgiveness. There's an, a, a non-stop, constant flow of love and grace 
and mercy so that there's always access. Isn't that awesome? There's always a place for us to come and join his family, to be in his arms of love, to be in relationship with him. So it says he's freely given us this grace and it's found in Jesus. And then in verse 4, going back it again, it says we've been chosen in him. And so notice it says we've been chosen to be holy. We're not chosen because we're holy. We're chosen so that we could become holy. I've heard a lot of people say, oh, no, you wouldn't want me to come to church. The walls will fall down. And I try to say to them, it's not about getting right before you come to church or before you come to God. We're all sinners. We're all messed up. We're all wrong. You know, God will sort that out. It's just a matter of coming to this place where the walls will not fall down. Good building. Uh, good renovations but spiritually there's no walls falling around either because God's grace is strong and he's not thrown by someone's sin he's unconditionally loving and accepting people yeah and so uh, then he works on us through sanctification and he wants us to become more like his son Jesus and to grow in our character and to become holy but and, and in fact verse 5 follows that thought it says look um you've been predestined to be adopted as children. But notice again, by nature, we are not the children of God. We're created in the image of God, but we are not all children of God because the Bible says we're slaves of sin. We are actually away from God's family. I mean, no one adopts their own children. (laughs) You don't need to. But God adopts us into his family. And of course, a child that is well adopted into a family gets the same rights and love, and security, and provision that anyone else in the family gets. And that's our position in him. And then if we go further back, this is the one I want to spend a minute of time on. Verse 3, it says, uh, having been found in Christ, we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. Notice that it says uh, that he has blessed us. So it's already been done. It's not possibly going to be done for some people. Maybe if you're lucky, one day in the future, God may bless you. He's done the work. Jesus has accomplished all that needs to be done. And so he's already done what is needed for us to be blessed. He has blessed us. And then secondly, notice that there's spiritual blessings. Now, I have no problem with physical blessing. God wants us to be blessed materially, physically, uh, you know, financially, and that's all good. The Bible says he wants, it says um, in 1 Timothy 6.17, I think it is, Godly, God richly provides you with all things for your enjoyment. Uh, the Psalms tell us that he delights in the prosperity of his people. John writes and says, I wish that you would prosper in all areas, even as your soul prospers. So prosperity's fine. It's not like some evil, weird American concept that ruins people's lives. You can be prosperous, yeah? We can be blessed. But there are higher blessings. There are spiritual blessings that go beyond the temporal, natural, carnal, material blessings. So, of course, we can enjoy everything that God blesses our lives with. But then there's something that goes higher and deeper and longer, and that's spiritual blessing. And they don't ever change according to the circumstances. They are always there. They are constant and consistent, regardless of what your state of 
being and current level of living comfort might be here on earth and so we're talking of course about the work of the holy spirit you know working in us sanctifying us talking about security and confidence that comes from knowing god loves us like we've been hearing about this morning uh peace and calm in crazy situations and of course eternal life just that that total blessing amazing hope of of going to heaven after we die and leave this earth and um and that's, you know, that's kind of cool. We can forget that sometimes, get caught up with, you know, all the stuff of life. I did a funeral this week for a guy who, who lived a full life. Uh, boy, what a talented man. He worked very hard, made good money and, and used it well and lived it up. He had sports cars and motorbikes and when he got into his 60s, he thought, oh, I'll take up flying. Got his pilot's license, bought an aeroplane, flew his family all around Australia. When he got a bit older than that, it was like, all right, we're doing cruising. Bam, we're cruising all over the world. Someone got up and said, oh, we went on seven cruises with them in all different places. And so this guy lived life to the full. But then it comes to an end. And where, you know, where do we head off to? And this man had a, a, a faith that we are, you know, believing uh, has, has taken him into God's presence, into heaven. And no matter what we have here on earth, you know, knowing spiritual blessings help us with perspective on what's going on down here. Uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, you can enjoy, like I said, everything that is going on here, but it won't last forever. But spiritual blessings take us into heaven where they will last forever. Now, uh, let me tell you about Watchman Nee. I've mentioned his name a few times. Perhaps if you don't know his story, I'll, I'll tell you a bit about his, um, his situation. You know, he was born in China in the early 1900s. He became a church planter, a pastor, uh, an author, and he had, as you already heard, a striking, simple, strong way of writing. And um, when he was born again as a teenager, he was really committed uh, as a Christian, to the point that he fell in love with this girl, only to find her ridiculing Jesus, and so he broke it off. Uh, and they were both heartbroken, but he just thought, "No, this is not going to work. If you're not going to follow the Lord, he didn't see her for ten years, and then he bumped into her and praised the Lord she had become a Christian, and so they fell in love all over again and got married. And so that's the good news." Um, the bad news is that the communists uh, took over China, as you know, in the late 1940s. He was already well known for his teaching and uh, for his uh, church planting, and so he became a target for persecution. So he was arrested, trialled on trumped-up charges, sent to a re-education prison. 1956, he was tried again. So he didn't leave prison. They didn't sort of let him out. and re They just kept him in there. He was sentenced to 15 years hard labour. His wife was the only visitor he was ever allowed to have, never had children, no one else was allowed to visit him. His letters were censored but he still smuggled out teaching and tracts and messages and words that became books uh, and then when his sentence was up they still didn't release him, they just kept him in prison and then his wife got sick, they wouldn't let him out, his wife died, they wouldn't let him go out for the funeral and... Uh, and finally, in 1972, uh, in the age of 1969, he died 
in jail before his family could even come to collect the body they had cremated him, probably to hide any sign of abuse or torture. And so he had, on one hand, this terrible life of suffering, but they found a piece of paper under his pillow, and he had written in large letters with a shaky hand these words, Christ is the Son of God who died for the redemption of sinners and resurrected after three days. This is the greatest truth in the universe. I die because of my belief in Christ. Watch my knee. He had spent his last 20 years in prison, in terrible conditions, persecuted, uh, no comforts, away from his wife and family and friends, and yet he was known for his joy. Uh, and you read his works, you, you wouldn't know about his circumstances. When you read, he's got a buoyancy in his spirit because he's in him. His whole life is all about being close to Jesus, about being found in Jesus, walking with Jesus, suffering with Jesus, and eventually entering into glory with Jesus. And, um, and I find that inspirational because, uh, well, Paul also, Watchman, like Watchman Nee, Paul, uh, you know, who wrote these words that we've been reading, he also knew and experienced what spiritual blessings were. And they weren't taken from him when he was in whatever state. Because he says, I've learned the secret of being content in all situations. And that secret was to enjoy God's spiritual blessing of peace and love and comfort and intimacy and relationship and prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit on him, regardless of whether he was being you know, beaten and persecuted or praised at different times. Paul had you know, ups and downs. But like Watchman Nee, Paul knew that the spiritual blessings were more important than the physical and the temporal ones. And so I pray that that would be true of us as well. That, as I said, as much as we enjoy our life, we are pursuing Jesus and that we'll be found in Jesus, in relationship with him. And that we would actually have a willingness to suffer for him, whatever that looks like. Very unlikely it's going to be extreme like Paul or Watchman Nee. But at whatever level of suffering or persecution or trouble that we have, we would not just walk away from the Lord or freak out, or focus only on the physical blessings and hold on to them and then lose the spiritual blessing. How silly is that? For someone to be focused only on the temporal and then there's the whole of eternity waiting. And so we get our priorities right and that we are willing to, as I said, even be persecuted for him, to even die for him if necessary. But most of all, we die to ourselves so that we can live in him. Amen? And so that's... Uh, that's really just an introduction to what a few others are going to be sharing over the next few weeks. And, uh, and so we'll come to a close right now in prayer. In Him, Jesus. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.com. Dot net.